Welcome everyone to the All About Scentwork podcast. This is where we talk about all things scentwork. That can include training tips, a behind the scenes look of what your instructor or trial official is going through and much more. In this episode, we're gonna be talking with one of our instructors, Lori Timberlake, and she's gonna be discussing her training journey as far as scentwork is concerned. So before we start diving into the podcast, let me just hand it over to Lori to allow her to do a very quick introduction of herself so you know a little bit more about Lori. Take it away, Lori. Hello. Yes, I'm Lori Timberlake. Um, I am an instructor for SWU, and I also teach in-person classes out in Buffalo, New York. And um, that's about all I have to say right now. You're going to hear a whole lot more about me pretty soon. Perfect. That is a very fine introduction. <laughs> so, and it will be good because then we can have our, our questions can kind of flesh us out a little bit more just so people can have a little bit more understanding about your journey into scent work. And I think that it's really helpful for people to understand that even for professional trainers, instructors, competitors who've been competing for a while, oftentimes it's not a straight line. And I think that your story is really interesting. So let's start at the beginning. How long have you actually been training in scent work or nose work? Since 2011. And why was it that you actually first started getting involved in it? Was there a thing that you're like, wow, this looks really interesting. Did you just fall into it? What actually got you started? Yeah, a couple different things. So I had recently got Daisy. <laughs> she became mine. That's just the way I say it. She she had a long journey before she came to me. Um, I had another dog at the time um, and she was quite the sniffer and we were doing a lot of obedience and everything else. But every time I walked her, like her nose was always to the ground. And I just, you know, I was looking into tracking. We did a little bit of that. And then a local um, bed bug company was looking for a trainer to handle their dog. So I really started looking into scent work then. And I kept finding this canine nose work when I was doing all my searches. Um, so I was looking, I'm like, oh, wow, there's actually a sport you can do where dogs can find things. That's kind of neat. Um, and everything, you know, it kind of fell through with the bed bug detection. Um, but I did a lot of research when I was looking into that. And then we, I used to be a part of a, a dog club and we would try to bring presenters in and, and try to always bring new different things. And uh, we brought in uh, another trainer's friend who was doing some um, scent work seminars. And that's how I kind of got started. You really were involved in the pretty early stages of the sport. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, especially on the East Coast. It was like, there really wasn't a whole lot of opportunity out here at all. <laughs> Everything first started for you in formally getting involved in this as far as training was concerned. What was the approaches that were being shown to you or that really piqued your interest? Yeah, so the seminar that started everything um, was all I knew. And he was, um, I think he was a maybe former CNWI, or I think he might have, you know, been with Canine Nosework when they started and then moved out east. So what he was showing us, I, I'm calling it like a hybrid canine nose work kind of um, set up, um, but it was only a seminar. And then he, you know, we worked via email together and I was kind of working with Daisy with the stuff he showed us. Um, so it, it was following pretty much the canine nose work methodology, um, but we were kind of doing it on our own without a whole lot of backup. So could you just go into a little bit more detail about what that is? Because now there's just so many different schools of thought. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we can just go into as much detail as possible, just so that people could really have an understanding of what it is. Like, so when you first started, what was it that you were doing with Daisy? 
Yeah, absolutely. So we did start with food in boxes, um, although we were starting right off the bat with mailer boxes, but they were open. Um, I think we we're using pizza boxes, actually, that were open. But one thing that was a little different was right away we were closing the boxes with the food inside. So we can probably talk about that a little bit later. So that was, um, so she was looking for the food in the box and then we were opening it right away and she could feed, she could eat the food. Um, and then we were adding odor pretty soon. And then because I was working on my own and then I would forget and gee, one time I forgot to put odor or I forgot to put food with the odor and she found just the odor. And I know this is probably just weeks of doing this, so we really rushed through. And I was like, oh, she already knows what odor is. So then, you know, I kind of stopped pairing the food in the odor and just putting the odor out. And then as far as hide setting and things like that, like I just, I didn't know what I was doing. So it was, you know, we I put a hide super high. Hey, let's see if she can find this. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, how do I tell if she really found it or not? So there was just a lot of questions in the beginning, but it was, you know, it was starting with food and then pairing, but just a much more condensed version of it, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And I think it's, <laughs> it's a very similar thing that I know for me personally, where you look back and you're like, how did my dog, how were they able to do any of this? <laughs> exactly. exactly. Oh, you have so many questions in the beginning and there are, you know, particularly very early on, there weren't that many answers yeah. to those questions. I can kind of elaborate on that also. So I think at that time, the first canine knows where camps were coming out on the East Coast. And I kept looking into them and they were always in September. And that was always a bad month for me. Like I always had something going on and it was hard finding seminars. I mean, on the, it was just hard getting more information at the time. So I was just trying to keep my dog. And then this is, this is awful, but of course, then I was teaching classes right away and they were just searching for food at the time. I wasn't even adding odor at that point, but it was, it, I don't know how any of us got through that. It was so poorly started we just kind of let's see what happens and and luckily they all did okay and daisy did okay but it was a it, it was just a lot of lack of information at that time and it was hard to get more information at that time and i think that's really important for people to understand i think that at that time because i also lived on the east coast at that time and it just seemed as though nose work because that's what it was mainly called <laughs> <laughs> was over on the West Coast. And yeah. every once in a blue moon, we would get like this, it would be like this bright light of, oh, look, people who know what they're doing. This is so great. And then they would go back again. And it was just like this void of information. And it wasn't anything purposeful, but right. it was just the way that it was perceived. And I think that's a really important thing for people to understand, like with AKC coming on the scene and now CPE is getting involved and SDS, so Sniffing Dog Sports has just handed over um, their competition to a new person who's going to be building out their organization and just understanding that if you're coming at this and there's this mishmash of availability of information and resources, we all get really excited and we all want to rush forward and do things, but that may not be the best way of doing it. Right. <laughs> so what I would love to know is because you'd have that beginning of it, 
were there questions that you had at any point early on in, in this process of, well, I'm not sure if this is working or, or were there things that you were noticing that maybe there were holes in the training? There was, there was something that you were looking for something else. So maybe you tried different approaches. What was your journey like in those very early stages? Yeah. So I think, so it's still early, but couple years after that, we were very slow. We were very slow starting, um, even with the classes, like we'd do one class and then there wouldn't be interest, you know, like only one person would want to continue. So then we'd hold off. And so classes were slow. I didn't do a ton with Daisy. And then I got a little bit more into it and we entered our first ORT. So that's when things started picking up a little bit. Um, ORT, fine. We entered our first trial. Um, and even up until that point, um, she did really well. She passed three out of four elements. The fourth one was one of those wares. Um, and that's when there was, there wasn't a requirement for NW1 to have a trained alert, but we were working on a down. So she did this perfect down in front of a wheelbarrow, but, but she was six inches away from where the hide was, which nowadays, you know, that probably would have been a yes, but back then it was a no. So after the first trial is when I really that's when I saw the holes and what we needed to change and what I saw other people. We also volunteered um, that weekend. Um, so watching everybody else, that's when my eyes opened and we started making some changes. So probably 2013, 14, something like that. And then what specifically do you think were the things that you wanted to change or adjust in your training from that experience? Yeah. So that's right after that trial is when we, decided to get rid of the, and I think that's almost when the rules changes right around that time. We had to get rid of the trained alert. <laughs> that was the first thing. And I just wanted to reward her for going to source and just staying there. So we worked a lot on that and, and almost not rewarding her when she did, tried to go into a down. But that's when I, you know, other methodologies came out and there was a little bit more information and so I started following those so I could have more of a plan for my classes. And I kind of restarted Daisy back at the beginning. And it wasn't that anything was bad or wrong. We did well at that trial. I just felt as an instructor, like I need to get my act together so that I can actually give people some information because I was just working off of, you know, what I was picking up here and there. I, I don't know if it was even holes but just more information that I wanted to get a better program together for my students. Okay. And I think that makes total sense. And I think one thing that I'm hoping that people who are listening can understand is that instructors are not born omnipotent. Yeah. You don't just like come onto the planet and just know everything we're learning too. And if there's one thing that's true with all dog training, I don't care what it is it's constantly changing and, and shifting and fluxing and adjusting. And there's a, there should always be a constant looking for knowledge and information, how to make things better and cleaner and, and so on and so forth. So it's not as though it's odd to hear that instructors are learning from other people or that they're adjusting their take or anything else. That's actually a good thing. <laughs> so I just hope that people listening understand that part and that it's actually a great sign as an instructor to be like, you know what, I want to have a more... <sighs> I guess, more thorough understanding of what this is. So if I had a question from a student, I can actually answer it. 
So what was the difference as far as how you had started Daisy with what were some of the new approaches that you were now using? Yeah. And actually, I'm just going to back up a second too. And also at that time, I was teaching all kinds of classes. Nose work was just like this extra fun thing. It wasn't like, it wasn't like it is now where it's like, this is my focus in life. So it was like, you know, a small group that just wanted to come out and have, let their dogs have fun. So it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the focus either. If that, if that helps at all, cause I, I may be sounding bad, like you were teaching a class and you had no idea what you're doing, <laughs> but it was, it, it was just like this extra fun thing and nose work wasn't at all what it is today. So, um, what did we start doing different? I kind of went back to the beginning and, um, I wasn't pairing anymore, but I was just really focusing on her going to odor and getting in quick and paying. I still, at that time, probably wasn't working so much on handling. I just wanted really good odor obedience. So we would do really simple exercises where we would just have maybe, you know, three or four containers out and one would have odor, one would have food, one would be blank, and one would have like a, to a dog toy in it. And we would just keep mixing them up. And I just focused on her going to odor. So I think that really helped with odor obedience. I think that helped my students with odor obedience. Um, just kind of going back and just teaching them odor is important. But now we weren't focusing so much on the search and the handling and the, the hunt drive and things like that. That's where, that's where that balance shifted a little bit is when we went right back to focusing on odor. Okay. And that makes total sense. So really having the dog understand, this is the thing I would like you to find. Yeah. And so how long would you say that you were doing that approach where that was you know, basically breaking it down to, I just want you to find this thing and all this other stuff you don't need to worry about? Yeah. So <laughs> that went on for a little bit. And then things changed with my business too, where um, there were some other people in the area kind of teaching fun you know, searching for food classes. And so I was getting a lot of students from other places. So then I had this whole mix. I had my people that were with me for a little while. I had new people that wanted to try it. And then I had people that came from other places. So I just started having these mixed classes and we would do, and that's probably more where the, we got back into the searching and, and I would go back to the new people coming in or the new people starting and we'd we do this focus on odor and then they get mixed in the other classes where we were again, back to working on leash handling and back to working on searching and um, doing more fun games and adding a little more, um, a little more fun into the classes and not just this is odor and you must go to it and you will get paid when you go there. So at that point, you know, we probably, I can't even say how long we were just doing that, but it was probably a few classes. And then we started getting all these mixed groups in. And it was, it was kind of an interesting time. And then I was still doing food classes for people that just wanted to, you know, search for primary. People just wanted to come in, take one class. They weren't going to stay with me for a while. They just want to say they did nose work. So we were still doing that too. But the more advanced students were, were right on odor. So I had kind of a, a mix there also. So you had different classes basically starting different ways. So people who were just in it, like, oh, I just want my, my dog to be able to sniff and, and then we're going to be done. They're starting on food. And the people who said, yeah. oh, you know, I, I really want to do this. They're starting on odor. Yeah. Because I might have maybe one person 
that would do the, the food classes, maybe one that would want to continue. So then they would start in the just odor class. But I could never get like a group of six to go from the food class into the odor class. So I kind of mixed them up, kind of a sport group and then the pet group, if that that's kind of how it went. Okay. And that's actually a really good thing for people to understand too, is, you know, when you're listening to this, don't think that this is just all happening in a bubble. All of this was happening across the country (laughs) at that time, because again, in the very beginning stages as instructors, I think that again, talking for an entire community when I have no right to do so, but it was obvious that this was beneficial and that it was a good thing to offer, but it was also really difficult to convince people don't you want to sign up for any length of class where we're going to place food out for your dog to find? And wouldn't you like to part with your money in order to do that? But if you could then have the sexier thing of having them find odor that allowed people to really say that looks cool. Finding a hot dog is not quite so cool. Finding food, eh, whatever, but finding odor is actually really fun. And to have that difference of approach as far as having people want to shift over is actually really common. And I think it really helped shift the way that all the classes were being formed everywhere. So I don't think that this is just some weird thing like, wow, Lori had this really strange experience. It's actually really common. (laughs) Yeah. It was really hard to get people to pay me to have that because most of the people that would want to take that class were people that already did that at home. They already did it. So they didn't want to pay money to have their dog search for food in a class when they could do it at home, you know? Right, right. And I think that, again, particularly in the beginning, we weren't, as a community, just as dog owners and not just instructors, but anyone having a dog, didn't quite understand all of the intricacies that goes into it the way that we do now, where, you know, we're like, oh, there's airflow and oh, there's this and oh, there's like that wasn't a part of it. It literally was, okay, as an instructor, I'm going to go in, okay, we're going to put a hide there. Let's see what the dogs do. Yeah. (laughs) There wasn't an expectation. So I think that it's really interesting to hear the way that all these things were kind of happening very organically when all of this first hit the scene, because you were right there at the beginning. So that's really, really interesting. So now we're at the point where you have some people who are coming to you brand new who are doing food, but not many. Then you have other people who are starting on odor and they're you know, focusing on their you know, odor obedience. Maybe then they're doing some other fun games. From there, where did you think that your training shifted to? So then, you know, I was trialing more. I'm hosting more. I'm getting more involved. I'm going to more seminars. And, you know, all the people, I hosted a lot of seminars and everyone I brought in was, well, I would pair that. Well, I would pair that and my students would be like, what's pairing? <laughs> so, so then we would do some of it in class and they're like, oh, we don't want to do that because our dogs have to, our dogs can't find the distractor. And I'm like, oh, okay, I understand, you know. So I was kind of letting them dictate my classes for a little while. So I can't even say how many years. Um, I will say I had a whole bunch of students probably get their one, twos and threes on the odor only approach. I want to say. So probably, I don't know, three years of that, maybe something like that. Um, And most of my uh, advanced students right now started on just odor. It's the new group now, probably in the last year where I've gone back to um, 
canine nose work methodologies and we're starting with food and I'm explaining it better because I understand the process better. Before I felt like I don't want to teach something that I just don't know the answers to. I don't think it's a bad program. I just don't know how to explain it to my students where I gain more information, the more education I got for myself. And, and that's when the shift started. So I would say we probably want to maybe a good three years of odor only, starting on odor only. And now that you've kind of been doing this for a while, as far as having these different batches of people <laughs> yeah. who've all been started in a different way, is there any sort of distinction between them? Do you notice any any trends as far as each group is concerned? Because the, the fact of the matter is that everything works, right, in theory. Right. Um, but I think every approach, you have different things you have to be considerate of. So I'd be, it would be really interesting to hear what you may have noticed as far as comparing those two groups. Yeah. Um, so one thing I can say with Daisy, and I, I look at this now and think I wish I had done things differently, is um, close hides and difficult problems. I think had we spent more time on primary and pairing, she'd be able to solve those problems better because now we're seeing all these close hides and trials and some days she gets them, some days she gets one and blows by the next and then she gets the next one and blows by the next close one. Um, so for me personally, you know, my next dog, um, definitely I'm going to spend a lot more time on primary and pairing and working out those problems at that stage and not trying to fix them <laughs> way later in our career. Um, so that's one thing I've noticed with her. I think her problem solving would be better had we had a better foundation. And she just had a horrible foundation anyways, because we were, we were all over the place learning as we went. So I, I don't know if it even would have mattered because I, I had no idea what I was doing back then. Um, but for my students, you know, my advanced students are good. They are good. Of course, I'm sure there's they're saying the same as me. There's certain things they wish they probably could have changed. Um, but as far as my new batch, the new batch that has started on primary, they are they just seem faster. They're more confident. They're solving problems. They're just so much more independent than um, than the ones that started on odor. And I'm curious to see as we do this longer, how they, I mean, they're, none of them are, actually some of them are competing. Some of them have started competing in USCSS and AKC and they're cleaning up. They're doing really well. And they just started in the fall on primary and are already competing and are, they are doing amazing. Actually, they haven't done anything NACSW yet, but I'm curious to see how their careers go. But that's what I see, just a faster, um, more independent dog, definitely. It's it's interesting to hear about your journey because obviously things have not been in a straight line trajectory. You've see, you started off where like, oh, this looks like kind of fun. And then you did all these other things. And then you're like, okay, well, now I'm, I want to do something a little bit different because I want to have a different result. And then you said, okay, well now I need to do something else entirely. <laughs> so what would you suggest to someone who is a dog owner and they are looking into getting into this? Should, would you suggest that they also just kind of experiment with different approaches with their dog? Or would you suggest that it would be better to maybe just do one approach 
through a certain period of time with their dog before they leap into something else. Basically, a quicker way of asking that question is, should I just be sticking with one approach for a certain period of time or should I just kind of be jumping all over the place? Yeah, <laughs> good question. <laughs> um, and it's because even up until this point, um, I still didn't really follow a certain methodology to like to the extreme. I still would pair with some if some dog just wasn't if they were super shy or nervous or didn't want to leave their owners. I would pair, but then they'd feel bad. Like, well, how come nobody else is pairing and my dog has to pair? So I didn't want them to feel like whatever. But so I have, I have all the way done different things. I think starting out on primary and getting the hunt drive and getting the dog independent isn't going to hurt anybody. Um, if you want to enter a trial tomorrow, yeah, you can start on odor. It's fine. It's not going to hurt anything either. Um, but I think if you're in this for the long run, you know, I, I see it myself with Daisy. I missed that foundation and now it's falling apart. I mean, it's not falling apart. We're doing okay. Um, but I can definitely see the holes. So yeah, go out and try different things. That's fine. Every dog is different. Every handler is different, but just make, whatever you're doing, make sure you get a good foundation in. And I think starting with primary, whether you do it for six weeks or a year, at least getting that start in, it, it teaches the dogs to search without you interfering. So uh, I guess that's kind of a, a wishy-washy answer to that. But yeah, you can definitely try different things, but but start with a, a good foundation. And I think that's true with everything as far as dog training is concerned. If you don't have a foundation, then everything's just going to fall apart at some point. And I think what I've noticed for set work competitions is you really don't start noticing some of those holes until you're really high up in competition. <laughs> you can get yeah, through yeah. The, the NW1s, NW2s, maybe even an NW3, and then all of a sudden, it's like, wow, we don't have this, that, or the other thing. And it's you're already years in, and now you're going to be stagnant up there for a while. And that's that's really deflating for people. So if you yeah. can have a foundation that you're solid on, regardless of your approach, then that's what your goal should be. So as far as people who have multiple dogs and maybe they want to figure out which approach would be best, do you think that it would be advantageous for them to try one approach with one dog and another approach with another? Should they try the same approach with multiple dogs and then make adjustments as they go? Because I, I know that there are going to be people who be like, just tell me what to do. <laughs> what am I supposed <laughs> to do? What, what, how am I supposed to approach this? There's too many options. Just tell me which one to do, which of course is really possible to do. <laughs> That's so hard. That's so hard because there's no right and wrong answers. And well, there might be some wrong answers in dog training. I've, so I, I've had that. I've had several students that either have come through, you know, maybe uh, their original, I, I, we've been doing this so long. A lot of the original dogs have passed away, unfortunately, and now they're coming back with new dogs. Um, so they may have, might have started one way with the first dog and a different way with the second dog. And I've had even just recently in the last year, people with two different dogs, they're like, your class already changed from the last time I took it. It was only six months ago. I'm always adding and changing. Um, so is it advantageous to try different ways? I mean, I guess every dog does learn differently, but no dog's going to go wrong starting on primary. Um, and if you want to change things from there, if you want to take a, a speedier course with one dog and then 
build a better foundation with another, or maybe one is just your your pet dog or your older dog that you're not going to compete with. You might do something different where, you know, there's a trial next weekend that you want to enter. You might do something different with the other. But again, you're, you're hurting your foundation if you if you try to rush that much. So, I mean, they're your dogs, so I guess you can train them however you want. But um, I don't I don't know if it's advantageous to do to do different things with different dogs unless they're, you know, if one maybe has medical issues and you know, they're, they're not going to compete. You could definitely take things slower. Maybe that's the, a way to, to answer that. Do, do more primary, spread it out longer, do more pairing with that dog and maybe do a, a little faster, you know, still start on primary, but move into odor a little quicker with the other. You could definitely do things like that. Um, but I don't know if starting with two different total methodologies with two different dogs in the same household, unless you really just want to do an experiment. Um, and then you would know your answer for the next dog, I guess. <laughs> and, and that's true, right? I mean, it's, there are no absolutes, but I think that, that there is absolutely something to be said for having a little bit of consistency and having just even expectations as a person. So because this is actually a question that I received from someone who does have multiple dogs and they were interested in getting involved, but they wanted to figure out which approach was quote unquote the best. And there is yeah. no the best. It, it's all very personalized. So yeah. my concern with trying to have someone do two different approaches is that that's assuming that you actually know how to do those two approaches. You don't just have to master one, you have to master two. <laughs> yeah. So that would be my only concern with people with trying to do multiple things is really have a good understanding, at least the basics of it, so that if things were to go left, you knew how to adjust or how to even figure out if things weren't working out for your dog. And try that's hard enough when you're just trying to do one thing. It's 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 magnified if you're trying to do multiples. So it's not that it's necessarily a bad thing. It's just something you want to be mindful of that it may not be the best idea. But again, yeah. your dogs, you can do whatever you like with them. So <laughs> <laughs> what I tell my students, like, I'm going to give you information. I'm going to tell you what I think works best, but they're your dogs. You know, <laughs> what you do with them at home is what you do with them at home. So I'm just here for, for the information I have. So as far as your own continuing education and learning, what kind of things are you looking into right now? So I am halfway through my um, CNWI course. So I'm looking forward to coming back to the West Coast uh, this summer to finish that up. Um, I think I have three seminars I'm going to in the next couple months. <laughs> um, and honestly, I want to, um, I'm going to start running a different dog who is completely different than my dog. Hopefully I'm going to run him. He's a Mastiff, um, our other dog that we live with here. Um, so I think that will be a huge learning experience for me to just run a, a dog that's different than what I'm used to and who has started, you know, differently. Um, and he has his own quirks and um, we have to learn how to work together. So that's, you know, I feel as an instructor, I've only worked really one dog. I've only competed with one dog that I, I really need the experience of different breeds and different shapes and sizes and working styles. And um, that's what I'm kind of looking forward to in the next year. And that's a really good point is 
And again, Lori is not like some monolith here. She's not just like on some island. This is very common. I am one of the very rare instructors who only has one dog. (laughs) I've only ever had one dog since I've been a professional trainer. So it's a different experience to run a dog than to instruct a class. So it's not that rare for instructors to not have multiple dogs to run. And you learn something completely different every single time you run a different dog because there's different communications. There's different ways that they hunt. I mean, there are some dogs who are lefties, some dogs who are righties. Every dog's going to have different strengths and weaknesses. So for people who may be listening who are not professionals, just understand that whatever experience you're having with the dog that you're running now, if you were to get another dog or if you have another dog in your household that you then want to run, that experience may be completely different. And that's okay. That's not a bad thing. (laughs) That's actually expected. So as far as your overall training journey, was there anything about it when you're looking back that you would have wish something had happened a little bit differently. And in addition to that, are there things that you really appreciate happened the way that they did? So, yeah, I wish I had a better foundation. Um, you know, it was just a, a hard time. I wasn't a full-time trainer back then. So to spend, you know, thousands of dollars to, <laughs> to try to make it to camps and, and seminars and, and things like that. When, um, you know, again, nose work was just kind of the side thing I was doing. Um, you know, I wish I had known then that this would be something that would be so important to me later on that, you know, a better foundation would have been nice. (laughs) Having more knowledge early on would have been nice. But I, I think I still am very proud of, you know, I am kind of, I think you just said earlier about something else. I'm not on an island, but I am kind of on an island out in my, where I live. You know, at the time, and even still now, there's a few other um, schools locally doing some scent work classes, but there's not a whole lot going on. Everything's like six hours away. So I'm kind of proud of what I've built, and I'm proud of my students for getting, you know, going as far as they have and doing so well in trials. And um, even myself, kind of self taught, you know, as as far as we got with Daisy, as badly as I've screwed her up, that we're, we're, uh, almost ending our our elite uh, career pretty soon. So I am very proud of what we did. I just, uh, it would have been a lot better with a better foundation. And I think that's a really great thing to underline is we can't learn unless we're able to look back to figure out what we need to learn, right? We need to figure out what may not have gone 100% the way that we would have liked so that we can figure out how to go better in the future. And I would say that, again, you're very accomplished with what you've done. (laughs) You're very accomplished with what you have (laughs) done with your own personal dog and with your students and your students are benefiting from your journey. And that's something that I'm hoping that everyone listening can really appreciate is you want to have instructors in my humble opinion who have actually had these types of journeys and these types of experiences so that they can appreciate when you may also be struggling because it makes them human (laughs) you can actually ask lori questions right you could say hey i'm having this issue either with training or competition and she's approachable and she actually understands because she may have gone through something that's somewhat similar. And that's a good thing. 
And she also can give you some guidance in the beginning of your training to say, okay, you know, those three left turns I took that I didn't need to, you don't have to take those. <laughs> you can kind of yeah. avoid all of that. So the reason why I really wanted to put this podcast together was to show everyone a couple of things. The first is that, and this is just a big pet peeve of mine, but I think it's a good thing to outline is that instructors are human beings. None of us are perfect. We don't fall out of the sky and know everything. Um, that our training journeys are not linear. None of us are. And that change is not a bad thing. Being able to evaluate where you are and say, well, okay, this is working and that's working, but that not so much. Let me see what I can do here. And then understanding that different techniques may very well work but there may be different benefits to different techniques and it may be beneficial for some dogs and others. It doesn't make anything evil or wrong. <laughs> it just means that there may be certain benefits to those things. And understanding that again, if nothing is linear is actually a really helpful thing for people to really grasp. So was there anything Lori that you wanted to share with people as a general whole, as far as anything that you see as an instructor for scent work or nose work, that would be beneficial for them that you just happen to see across the board. And you're like, Oh, I just wish that everyone would just understand this one thing. Is there anything like that that you'd like to share? Um, several, <laughs> I'll try to keep it short, but one, you know, stop rushing. Everybody stop rushing. <laughs> Everybody's trying to get so fast and just like enter trials tomorrow. Um, and I understand, and it looks very easy when you start. Um, like I said, I, I just said it earlier. I have a bunch of students that started in the fall and they're cleaning up and, and, you know, the novice level, um, you know, AKC, USCSS, um, uh, I think, I don't know if anybody's done any PSD, um, UKC. So yeah, you can do really well in a trial, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean you should be just rushing ahead and jumping into everything slow down stay at that novice level keep learning um don't try to force too much on your dog um just yeah stop the rushing stop the rushing take your time and you know the, the flip side and you hear a lot of people complaining about this is well my dog is four years old and has its elite championship what do i do now <laughs> right so and this and i've seen people that are like all the way up in detective class and akc it only came out Two, a year and a half, two years ago. Um, so slow down, enjoy the process. Um, that's one thing. And then the other thing is there is so much information out now. I mean, we have Scentwork University. There's a bazillion classes and webinars and seminars and podcasts. It's not, the information is readily available. There are seminars. I'm going to three seminars in the next two months. Um, we're back then, you know, there might be one seminar a year that I had to drive eight hours to go to. So there's a lot more information now. So, so do it, go get some learning. Even if you audit at a seminar. Um, and I used to say this all the time. I learned so much volunteering at trials. That first trial, that first trial that I went to that I volunteered one day and competed the other, I came back and my mind was blown just from talking to people in the parking lot and, you know, talking to people waiting for the awards to come out. I learned so much just with that, not even even watching the trial because I had no idea what I was looking at at NW3 at that point, which was the day I volunteered for. Um, but I just gained so much information at a trial. So go to seminars, go to trials, learn as much as you can. There's a lot more information out there. You don't have to struggle like I did. Um, it's readily available. So take take everyone up on it. 
And I think those are all really important things for people to walk away with is this should be a process. <laughs> it should be something that yeah. you enjoy and take your time with. And it's, I think that the point that you made with the young dogs who are already completely done in some venues that just think of the loss that is for the person and the dog, because unless you're going to just yeah. do it for fun at home, which I am a huge proponent for, but then there's just reality <laughs> of life is really yeah. busy and we only have so many hours in the day and we have to have motivations to do things. And if you're already at the top of whatever chosen venue that you decide to do or multiple even, what's the likelihood you're still going to play the sniffy game with your dog and then think of the loss that is to your dog because this is one of the activities where they are celebrated for being them we're not making them do all this other stuff that they sure maybe they can do but it's not what they're designed to do <laughs> it's not what is like in their dna so try I, i'm just going to piggyback on what you're saying don't rush take your time enjoy the journey and absolutely go out and learn and the one thing that i just again, going to harp on a little bit is take things that you think apply for you and your dog. And if there's something that, you know, just don't think that it applies to you, you don't have to like burn up everything that that person said, maybe take the things that you like and then leave the other stuff behind, or maybe just put it in your back pocket for a rainy day. Maybe it will apply later or to a different dog. Maybe you'll change your mind, but it doesn't mean that unless someone says hundred percent of the things that you like, you, you can't listen to them otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> that's simply not true. It's not a, a, an all or nothing sort of thing. So if we can just as a community be a little bit better with how we take in information, I think that'd be really helpful as well. Absolutely. So I want to thank Lori for joining us for this podcast today. It was a very interesting conversation and it's always wonderful to hear about the different training journeys everyone goes on. Thank you so much for listening. Happy training. We look forward to seeing you soon.